I try to listen. I try to listen to him to just make sure that we don't sound complete fucking jackasses. Okay. And um, the Jocko one, just straight up. I tried. I I was listening back to it and editing it, and I had to cut out like five minutes of us talking about shit because I was like, wow, no one's gonna sit through yeah. this. So we cut it kind of short, and um, hopefully that was an acceptable amount of shit talk for the normies on the regular feed. Okay. We, we know you Patreon subscribers can handle a lot more shit Right. Talk. We'll just post the unedited stuff completely. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to Death by Music Podcast. I am Jake, here with Cassie and Alex. Hi. Got Hello. another episode coming in for our Patreon. Yeah, this is our second person for Patreon. So thank you to those of you that have subscribed. Um, we are going to have to split this one into two because there is so much information, especially when you get into all of the different theories um so this this is going to be a long one but first of all we want to give credit to our sources we use the hollywood reporter stereogum.com cbsnews.com wikipedia of course Mm -hmm. there was um obviously biography.com there was there are articles on both francis bean cobain and also kurt cobain there was an npr article by rachel martin and vince pearson radiox.co.uk had an article um and that was an interview with christ yeah Mm -hmm. I don't like that. I've always Christ. I'm like Christ Christ with a K. That would be be sick. Call Um, me Christ with a K. Chris And then there's a Rolling Stone article on Kurt's Downward Spiral. That one's by Neil Strauss. An NME article by Luke Morgan Britton. And an LA Times article by Robert Hilburn. So let's get into it. Kurt Cobain. Obviously, this is going to be a huge one. Most people know who he is. um, Know his music with Nirvana. And are relatively familiar with his death. Right. He's one of the most famous, I would say, from the 27 Club. Because obviously, like, Jim Morrison is huge. Jimi Hendrix is huge. But they were in the 60s, you know? Well, I and think, so- to all the conspiracies surrounding it and the fact of how much it was publicized mm-hmm. has a lot to do with it. Yeah. So, I mean, there are a lot of questions to be raised. Was it actually a suicide? Or was someone else responsible? We're going to go over the evidence and let you guys be the judge. But either way, this story ends in tragedy. Yeah. And we're obviously going to present the facts, hopefully as unbiased as possible. We'll because see. at this point, we weren't there. We don't actually know all of the, the minute details that have happened. So there could be a few instances that get pretty graphic. Please note that this episode could be a potential trigger for some listeners as well. Kurt Donald Cobain was born in Aberdeen, Washington on February 20th. 1967 his mother wendy was a waitress his dad donald was a mechanic um he had one sister kimberly who was born in 1970 unsurprisingly his family had a musical background his aunts and uncles performed in bands as a child kurt was described as happy sensitive and artistic his grandmother was a professional artist and she encouraged kurt to draw Hmm. at the same time his interest in music was developing he got super into singing at age two and by age four he had become interested in piano and he wrote his first song it was about going to the park i wonder if he ever made a demo for it (laughs) it would be so cute yeah um when he was nine his parents divorced which had a huge effect on his life and his personality kids tend to blame themselves for these things plus kurt wanted to feel secure he wanted to have a perfect family so he began to grow defiant and withdrawn his father promised that he would never get married again Mm. but that motherfucker married a woman named jenny jenny 
Jenny. Jenny. And then they moved to a new house where they had another son. So, you know, obviously that creates some issues too. Kurt grew to hate his stepmother. In the meantime, his mother started dating an abusive piece of shit. Hmm. Kurt saw her boyfriend break her arm and he saw him hitting her and she refused to press charges. Naturally, Cobain just decided that adults were shit. He's He's not wrong. (laughs) Very wise boy. He began taking his anger out by becoming a bully. A therapist decided that it would be best for Kurt to be in a single family environment. And obviously his mother's house was not going to be the ideal situation. So his father was granted full custody, which he also didn't agree with. What does that mean, single family? Because just because his dad and the stepmom had another kid. It means that he shouldn't be raised in two separate homes. Oh, so just specifically with he, one he, or the especially other. Especially because he was having like these de- like defiant and like behavioral sure. issues, th- having inconsistent rules. Right. It does not help that at no. all. And you know, if his parents were being assholes to each other, they were like, well, uh, you can do this in our house, but you can't do that over there and right. whatever. And, and then that just furthers the behavioral issues because mm-hmm. right, the lines between right and wrong become very blurred. So. Right. He would benefit from more structure, which if his mom's in an abusive relationship, his dad is just dating or married to this woman that he hates. So that one is just, okay, I guess that's the lesser of two evils. Sure. So Donald put Kurt up with another family altogether. Oh my god! And then um, these guys were born again Christian. Mm. Hooray! Uh, shit. Kurt even signed mm. on to it and he went full Jesus mode. Until he wasn't into it anymore and openly denounced Christianity and God. These experiences are described in the Nirvana song, Lithium. Sing it. No. Um, (laughs) Those are the lyrics lyrics. for Lithium. Right. Sunday morning is every day for all I care. And I'm not scared. Light my candles in a daze because I found God. Imagine Kurt Cobain on the wrestling team. Uh, He ended up doing the wrestling team because of his dad. And he apparently wasn't half bad, but he wasn't like the other dudes they all just made fun of him. So Kurt just started laying on the mat and getting pinned so that his dad would be embarrassed and he wouldn't have to wrestle anymore. When his father put him in baseball, Kurt would just intentionally strike out. <laughs> I don't know. This sounds like some Jake level stubbornness right here. I mean, it's definitely defiance to the max. He's all sure I'll do it, but I'm not going to be good at it on purpose. Yeah. He's just being yeah. a dick. I've, I've done stuff like this before just out of spite. And uh, you know, I actually failed PE once cause I wouldn't dance. I'm what not is, surprised. <laughs> what were they trying to make you do? Probably square dancing. Just dance. It was, uh, I, I don't know. It was a bunch of crap. Some cha-cha slide, electric slide. Uh, I don't think maybe. they had the cha-cha slide yeah, in Jake's that, day. That's a little bit newer than me. Mm, <laughs> so probably Jake. the electric slide. I remember maybe La Cucaracha, the the, the Mexican hat dance. dance. The cha-cha slide was 2000. Jake, when were you in school? Um, not in like 1990. <laughs> When did you graduate high school? That was it was was pre two thousand. Oh my god! (laughs) I'm young. You said last time that he was born in nineteen sixty. (laughs) So I don't know why you're so elusive in your age. (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) Um, Yeah. So here's my favorite part that. Kurt, Kurt's growing up in the 70s and 80s, and so gay kids were severely bullied back then. Yeah. Kurt became friends with a gay student, and then all of the kids at school started making fun of him and saying that he was gay. And he was like, yeah, fuck it. I like buttholes. Um, <laughs> Cassie's like, no. Every time. So he, he embraced it. 
um, you know, if they think I'm gay, then maybe they'll just finally fucking leave me alone. That seems counterproductive to me. Yeah, if like, they were getting bullied, he would also yeah. then be lumped into that bullying. Yeah, that's true. It doesn't really change anything. Oh, well. well, he he just carried on pretending to be gay, even to the point where his gay friend tried to kiss him. He, he even convinced his gay friend. And Kurt later confessed to spray painting God is gay on pickup trucks. Nice. That's a hugely bold move. I applaud his ballsiness. Yes, big balls. And I cannot lie. That's the wrong song. <laughs> I've got big balls and I cannot lie. Whoops. It's the remix. Weird Al. Weird Al. Make one. Uh, let's see. Also, concerning his extended family, they did have issues with depression, mental health, addiction, and suicide. He apparently had two uncles who committed suicide using using a firearm, and this was one of his cousins said this. Kurt apparently picked up marijuana for the first time at age 13, and he continued to use it through adulthood. When he was 14, he was offered a bike or a guitar for his birthday. Kurt chose guitar. Hmm. And then Kurt befriended Buzz Osborne of the Melvins, who introduced him to punk and hardcore and brought him to his first concert. The two became best friends, and it obviously had a huge impact on his life trajectory. As a sophomore in high school, Kurt moved back in with his mother. He ended up dropping out of high school two weeks before graduation uh, because he didn't have enough credits. So fuck it. You know, he was faced with a choice. He could get a job or get the fuck out. So which one do you guys think he chose? I think I have an idea. Get the fuck out! (laughs) (laughs) He formed a band later on in 1985 called Fecal Matter. Cute. Nice. More shit conversations, um, <laughs> which did release an EP before disbanding in 1986. The demo was called Illiteracy Will Prevail and had 17 tracks. Two of my favorites are titled Bambi Slaughter and Anorex- Anorexorcist. That's so clever. I love it. Um, there's also a cover of the tape, or there's also a cover on the tape of Devo's song Turnaround. Nice. Fecal Matter. That's a name I could see myself coming up with for something. Uh, my racer name at one of the local go kart tracks here was D3FAK8. Like you guys go spell that out and you'll figure it out. And Defic- nobody, nobody ever said shit to me about it. <laughs> Defecate. Yeah, because it looks like... It, it, I had a hard deep, time just now. Deep, <laughs> deep, deep fake deep or something. Fake. Yeah. You, know, like, you could put this on like a license plate and they probably defecate. wouldn't... Yeah, it probably would it's slide probably by already on. a license plate. How's uh, that enema going, by the way? Huh? Huh? The enema. Yeah. When there you- is no enema. I actually... I only did the colon cleanse for like a week and then I stopped. There was a reason. I think it's because I was going... Tired of shitting yourself. No, I think I had plans to go to the... Yeah, I was going to the beach that weekend, and I didn't want to have to... Runs. I didn't want to have to shit at the beach, because what am I supposed to do? Go in the water and shit? No, you just dig a little hole and... No. Pop a squat? No, I'm not doing that on the beach, so I ended up stopping it. I still have, you know, like half of it left, but I haven't... I haven't picked it back up again. Sorry, guys. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Kurt started staying with his friends or living under a bridge until he found oh, that was weird until he found a job and he got an apartment. He continued attending concerts and he started dating this girl named Tracy. Kurt wrote about a girl about Tracy. He wanted to you know like loaf around and work on art, but she wanted him to get a job. It's the the timeless tale of musicians. Yeah. Get a fucking job. They didn't last too long. And he soon began to date Toby Vale of Bikini Kill. He was obsessed with her. She couldn't care less. Um, and then they, they just loved playing music together. So I guess it worked in a way. <laughs> um, while hanging with the Melvins, Kurt met Chris Novoselic and convinced him to form a band. 
when the selling point for him was fecal matters demo of course it was mm, it was the shit <laughs> <laughs> so novoselic also stated that Co- when cobain claimed he lived under a bridge over the wishka river wishka I don't know. Which sure. Co- I'm not from that area. Me neither. I don't know what the um, fuck is going so on. So basically, Novoselic was saying Cobain would really just hang out there because there was no way anybody could live on the muddy banks with the tide coming in and out. However, this experience Kurt had went on to inspire the last song on the album, Nevermind, called Something in the Way. After Novoselic listened to the Fecal Matter demo, he and Kurt formed the Sellouts, and they were a CCR, which is a Creedence Clearwater Revival cover band. That's so weird. Um, They needed a drummer, though, and went on to recruit Bob McFadden on drums, but the whole project kind of disintegrated, so Novoselic and Cobain went on to reunite with Aaron Burkhardt, practiced Fecal Matter songs, and started writing new material for the group. you still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping you yeah. feel me loading them up on it, it only takes structure and, and you know just paying attention to the climate of the game yeah know what i mean so do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little you mean yeah yeah we all we all artists over here man i'm trying oh yeah i'm trying i'm trying i'm trying to get them on there yeah we all artists man we go you feel me we're gonna have this like Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit. Right now. With this I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I don't lie. play with it. Play with it. No. Take that shit serious. According to an interview with Novoselic, the first time that Kurt used heroin was around this time while uh, they were forming a, a band in 1986. Kurt had hit up a dude who previously sold him oxycodone and aspirin. And he apparently called Novoselic and told him about the experience right afterwards. And Chris was like, dude, you're playing with dynamite. He was, Chris was very outspoken. And he, he noticed that when he was offering Kurt his advice, like Kurt would just turn away from him and it caused some tension in their relationship. And since things were moving forward, they would obviously need a name. So they cycled through things like you know, just literal garbage. Uh, Skid Row, I guess they couldn't pick it since it was already a band at this point. Yeah. Um, they also came up with Pin Cap Chew. So that Stupid. was another option. It's catchy, I guess. But yeah. also Ted Ed Fred. I like that one. Sure. Ted but Ed it's Fred. like Wright said Fred. Yeah. Wait, was that a thing then? It must have been. Let's see when Wright said Fred was too sexy. Um, too sexy. It makes me think of that. 1989. Oh, damn. So, yeah. They could have taken that shit. Yeah. Ted, Ed, Fred. At this point in time, religion was big on Cobain's mind, ranging from Christianity to Buddhism to Jainism. Jainism? <laughs> Vaginaism. Um, Vaginaism. Jainism. Jainism. Uh, Don't know how to traditionally it. known as Jain Dharma. It's an ancient Indian religion. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the term Nirvana was derived from a Buddhist concept describing a person's freedom from pain and suffering of the terrestrial world. Initially, the group could hardly draw a crowd or make any money. But they settled on the name Nirvana, according to Cobain, because he wanted a name that was kind of beautiful or nice and pretty instead of a mean, raunchy punk name like the Angry Samoans. Okay. I guess that was the other (laughs) contender. Yeah. So the dudes moved to Tacoma. Or the dudes moved to Tacoma. What the fuck was I trying to say? Moved the Tacoma? Moved to... (laughs) 
Okay, so (laughs) (laughs) the dudes moved to Tacoma and Olympia, Washington, and lost contact with the drummer Burkhard and began practicing with Dale Crover of the band called the Melvins. The first Nirvana demos were recorded in January 1988. Meanwhile, Crover ended up moving to San Francisco, but recommended a friend, Dave Foster, as a replacement. Unfortunately, Foster didn't last more than a few months after a little bit of jail time. So Burkhard came back and then left again, telling Cobain he was too hungover to practice, yeah, which is like, red that's flag. Get rid cute. of that motherfucker. <laughs> so the band was tired of a constant drummer turnover, stuck an ad in the Seattle music publication called The Rocket, and nobody worthwhile answers their local grunge band seeks drummer post. <laughs> Uh, drummer, more like bummer, that is, until. <laughs> <laughs> that is until Chad Channing, you guessed it, um, who stayed with them for two years and is featured on the album Bleach from 1989. Apparently, to record Bleach, it cost $606.17, and that was fronted by Jason Everman, who was the band's now second guitarist. So Everman didn't actually play on the album, but he got a credit because he paid for it. Um, hey, according, to, nice. <laughs> according to Novoselic, they wanted to make him feel more at home with the band by fronting the whole bill of the album, I guess, <laughs> and then not featuring him on any of the songs, Aww. which is, that's fun. Sure. So, yeah. So at the same time around, um, you know, around 1988 at the age of 21, Kurt started experiencing stomach issues. He was going to doctors, and according to his interview in a documentary called Montage of Heck, he didn't have a specific stomach ailment. Like, it couldn't be diagnosed. It was just a a part of his nervous system and likely irritable bowel syndrome. Okay. But he was describing in this interview, he said that IBS is an overarching term applied to all stomach pains and ulcers. He didn't have an ulcer, but he they took like a one of those little camera things mm-hmm. and they looked in at his stomach and he had like a red irritation. He said in the interview that he was in pain for so long that he really did not give a shit like if he was in a band or even alive. Oh wow. He was just in a horrible horrible pain kurt later admitted that his pain literally made him suicidal oh. and it just so happened to be when his band made it big so before the release of the album nirvana was the first band to sign an extended contract with sub pop records the album was released in 1989 and was circ- er, circulating through college radio stations nirvana started touring but canceled the last couple of dates to return to washington to stop the arising tension between evermen apparently nobody told homeboy he was fired but then he just went on to tell everybody he quit from what i've gathered everman got real quiet after a while touring with the group and wouldn't talk to anyone and was described as having a dark cloud hanging over him he says i think the root of my unhappiness in playing with the with that band was the realization that i'd never be more than a second guitar player so he's (laughs) basically the the background guy apparently that made it, most know. bands have two guitar players yeah. it's not heard three. of leonard skinner oh god <laughs> <laughs> well he wasn't happy with that anyways <laughs> it said after the canceled dates they drove back home and dropped him off and said see you later which was pretty much it uh everman later joined soundgarden but was booted for what seems to be the same reason that dark cloud just kept hanging around um he ended up joining the military and did tours in iraq and afghanistan he appeared in a 2010 Motorhead documentary, which I remember seeing and thinking it was very odd seeing some from, someone from Nirvana uh, who was a war vet. Yeah. And that, uh, like, at the time, I didn't know uh, I didn't know, know who role. who was in Nirvana to begin with, other than Kurt Cobain. Right. And so I'm watching this Motorhead documentary, and this guy's like in his military garb. He's like, "Yeah, Motorhead's 
music you go listen to when you're going to war. Jeez. And it said he was from Nirvana. I'm like, what the fuck? When, when the hell did this guy find <laughs> right. time to, to take away from Nirvana to go go fucking fight a war? Everyone else is a really weird. Yeah, yeah, that was funny. But yeah, I mean that that kind of attitude isn't gonna. That's why you're always second, is because you aren't confident in yourself. Yeah, I mean, he seems like he must have been a good guitar player if he was in both of these huge ass bands. But for a brief but period, being, you, I mean, you gotta fucking roll with it. You can't just be like, uh, "I'm second guitar player." Then like, fight for first. Like, make yourself more Do important. better. Yeah, just yeah. be better. Hone your skills. I, know. I I think he it wasn't really his calling because I yeah. I watched a couple interviews and and read a couple articles and uh. You know, he ended up joining the military, and he's he, he's been in the military for well, at least twenty years. I'm pretty sure he's retired now, but yeah, uh, I do believe he went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when Nirvana was inducted, and he was there at that ceremony. And somebody was interviewing him, and he's like, he's like, I have no hard feelings against him. I'm so far removed from that type of life. Yeah, he's like, yeah. I'm actually kind of, you know, it's cool that they got in and everything. And he's like, he's just on another plane, so it's not like. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it didn't seem like he was happy doing it to begin with, so it's probably well, good that when he, you're Eeyore, yeah. and 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 there's something to be said about someone who has who struggles to find their direction, finding their place in the military. Then that was probably really good for him to well, have he, like the structure. Of, yeah, yeah. He, well, he uh, he straight went special forces. Like he was in oh, the Green Beret. No, yeah, he was like within the top of the top. So yeah, he and was he, definitely he not rejoined. Called for Nirvana. Yeah, he. I think he was in the Rangers first, and then rejoined to go to the Special Forces, and like he wasn't just a regular. Aren't Rangers regular Special grunt. Forces? Yeah, they are. Power but Rangers. I guess that was his. <laughs> that <laughs> was his first run. Then he was in Nirvana. He was in Soundgarden, and then he was a Power Ranger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This man's doing fucking everything. All right, so Bleach is out. Sub Pop was not promoting it as much as their other band releases at the time, but the album was selling steadily. This kind of pissed Kurt off because he knew the label should be promoting a band, obviously. But later in 89, Nirvana recorded their Blue EP with producer Steve Fisk, who also worked with Soundgarden and the Screaming Trees. Ah! Oh, scared me. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what they sound like? Yeah, Uh, that's what I think. So Cobain noticed the band's music was changing. During an interview with journalist John Robb, Kurt stated, the early songs were really angry, but as time goes on, the songs are getting poppier and poppier as I get happier and happier. Hmm. Sounds like everything Death Cab has ever written. (laughs) Anyway, so Nirvana continues to work on their next album with Butch Vig, who worked with Garbage Against Me, went on to uh, do Foo Fighters and Green Day, just to name a few. My man's got some street cred, okay? (laughs) So during this recording period, Cobain and Novoselic aren't really impressed with Channing's drumming anymore. And Channing gets pissed off because he's not involved with any of the song songwriting, so he ends up just like it's like bye, deuces. Yeah. And Chad Channing would go on to be the most famous drummer that Nirvana ever had. This made me so mad when I was reading this because I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" <laughs> uh, just kidding. Here's where Dave Grohl enters. I was really about to say, like, <laughs> how are you gonna do that? To him? <laughs> Um, for those of you that don't know, Cassie fucking loves Dave Grohl. I love him. And I could tell it when I went back through and was reading, you know, her notes on this, that she fucking geeked out with all of the writing that she put in here. Because I was like, is all of this, is all of this, who, what is she talking about? And then I read it and I was like, oh, she's going in. Dave Grohl. No. She's going in. So he has a, 
uh, it's a bio coming out in October. And I think it's mostly short. I didn't even read the description. I just saw he had a book coming out and I was like pre-order like yep. immediately. So, so um, I love that man. Bo Burnham, step aside because <laughs> Dave Grohl will always be number one in Cassie's heart. I don't know. There's some competition. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. So uh, Dave Grohl, his band Scream <laughs> had broken up. <laughs> So he quickly auditioned with Nirvana, despite thinking that they looked like a psycho lumberjack, his <laughs> words on uh, their previous record. So fun fact, while Grohl was born in Ohio at the, eight, goes. Yeah. <laughs> at the age of three, the family moved to northern he was born at the age of three. No, you're not listening. <laughs> at three years old, his family moved to northern Virginia near the Fairfax area. And he grew up here. So I think it's safe to say that we get to claim him here in Virginia. Also, his mom's name is Virginia. So. We get it's like how you know everyone's proud that Pharrell okay. is from here. Cassie, we can be proud it. that okay. want to suck his dick. Stop, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. Uh, that's good what everybody's God. hearing. <laughs> okay, <laughs> look, so, sorry, it's fine. I just feel my face it's getting okay. really your red. Mom, your mom's not ever gonna pay for our Patreon, so she'll never hear that. That's true. Okay. She would never. <laughs> um, side note. I don't think we've mentioned this on the podcast yet. And if we did, I'd probably cut it out. But um, when I was on vacation at a weird vintage thrift store thing, I found a, a book from like 1997 or something or probably. It was before. It was later. like six. It looks 60s. It's it's old. It's an old, old illustrated book called Gay Sex. Yeah. And it has like dictionary definitions of all dictionary these <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. of all of these different things and then and then hand-drawn illustrations it's, of like how to how to fuck a dude if you're also a dude it's very detailed it is very detailed it's it's good it's a good book and we love it and i got it for cassie um <laughs> as her souvenir from the trip and it was so funny she came over and she had this like care package basket for me and she was like i got this for you and you know it had all of these like really sweet and thoughtful things and i was like hold on i have something for you too and i pulled it out and it was a, a book about gay sex so anyways it's been sitting in the podcast room for months yeah and we look at it occasionally to loosen <laughs> loosen to up loosen our buttons and uh her mom saw it yeah she 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 like came over to my house and was in here she was she said she was distracted by how beautiful this couch was oh, and then she like looked over at the computer and was like what is this book and that she thought we were doing a podcast about sex unfortunately I mean, we are yeah. not we are not it's not experts. on the table right now but you never know what could happen in the future so. we're not experts on the on the topic. no Mm-mm. even with the book so right. we can't but it exists it's fine um Anyways, Dave Grohl auditioned for Cobain and of Selleck <laughs> just days after arriving in Seattle. And the guys later go on to say that we knew in two minutes that he was the right drummer. So then a guy named Alan Mintz, he had been sending out Nirvana's demo tape and he helped them to get signed to DGC Records. So Mintz is not just some rando. He was actually the West Coast GM for Epic Records and the SVP of A&R for Columbia. Through his span of his career, Mintz was also an attorney and worked with other musicians like Michael Jackson, Van Halen, Aerosmith, and just to name a few. And then Nirvana put out Nevermind in 1991. Whee! After Smells Like Teen Spirit hit the charts, grunge emerged as a hugely popular subgenre. MTV picked up the video and their album hit number one on the Billboard charts. Nevermind thrust more Seattle grunge bands into the spotlight, 
like Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, and Pearl Jam. And Kurt, who was once a bum, had now become the spokesperson for Generation X, which he kind of resented that role. He felt as though his message had been misinterpreted. Um, Kind of like Wendy O. Williams, Kurt was dealing with the major success, but he had underground roots, and he started to resent the way that his band was being portrayed. Kurt did get to voice his support of the LGBTQ community with Nirvana by playing at a gay rights benefit, as well as showing support for pro-choice movements. Um, He did get a few death threats uh, in the pro-choice things from pro-lifers. Ah, so it's just about the life. Of the babies, but not the humans. Yeah, not you hypocrites. Make it make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Pro-life death threats. Interesting. Okay. So DGD Records was hoping to sell roughly 2,500 copies? Nope. 250,000? Yep, okay. <laughs> I am not good at numbers. Okay, DGD Records was hoping to sell roughly 2,500 copies. No. Of- what? 250,000. What did I just say? 2,500. <laughs> <laughs> Look, DGD Records was hoping to sell roughly 250,000 copies go. of Nevermind, and that was around Sonic Youth's goo had achieved that that number. However, Smells Like Teen Spirit gained so much momentum, largely in part from MTV's airplay, because they had no problem picking up a bunch of white dudes and playing them on air. But okay. (laughs) The band was overselling shows in Europe. TV crews surrounded the bands on stage, and you couldn't go anywhere without hearing their songs on the radio. By Christmas 91, the album sold over 400,000 copies a week in the United States. By January 92, they overthrew the king of pop himself, Michael Jackson, <laughs> for the number one spot on the Billboard charts. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I would throw it in there. Yeah, it was already there. But I already put it in there. <laughs> so funny. The band eventually sold over 7 million copies in the U.S. and over 30 million copies worldwide. Their presence on the airwaves also brought alternative rock to the forefront of the popular genres and thank God replaced hair metal. Hey, go fuck yourself, okay? No! (laughs) (laughs) They also caught the eye of the one and only Weird Al Yankovic, who at the time was recovering from the poor performance of his movie UHF. Weird Al likes to get permission from artists to do his parodies even though he doesn't have to and had a hard time getting a hold of the group until he heard they'd be performing on SNL, where he'd gotten the hookup from his UHF co-star, Victoria Jackson. Uh, Weird Al pitched the idea to Kurt over the phone, who had asked if the parody would be about food, which is much of Weird Al's music. Weird Al said, uh, no, it's basically about how no one can understand your lyrics. So uh, he went on to parody not only the song, but the album cover and the video, and I believe he only ever did that for his album even worse where he parodied michael jackson you know the song the cover and yeah the the video for that too so uh the song was a huge success and signaled a big comeback for weird al uh nirvana were fans of it and uh kurt went on to say that nirvana had made it uh, which has become the saying if you get parodied by weird al but you know what after watching all of the nirvana interviews i feel like chris would have been there saying like yeah, it's funny, haha. Ha. And then you'd have Kurt being like, "Yeah, I guess we made it now." <laughs> you know. Yeah, but they're not, all just so like bored, melodramatic. Yeah, it's like they're, uh, yeah. they're okay yeah. with it, and then you know yeah. they're just like, "Yeah, yeah, it's all right, whatever." I mean, they say the same thing with SNL. If like somebody makes fun of you on there, you've made it. So. Yeah, yeah, I would yeah. say that it's for it's sure. a high praise to be made fun of because yeah, and it's bullies. always it's always in good spirit when it's right. Weird Al too. So um, Jake has 
petitioned for us to put every every Weird Al cover that I will plug has happened. Weird Al into every episode that I possibly can. Yeah, okay. every every because he's covered a lot of people and he's <laughs> it's going to be relevant to a lot of artists that probably we've covered and will cover. So every Weird Al cover that there is of anybody that we we. Uh, talk about we are going to include the covers on the playlist that's fine which can be found if you search death by podcast team on spotify Mm -hmm. and also in the um, descriptions for each individual episode there's going to be a link to the playlist but yeah the weird owl video for that i remember yeah so it was the weird owl's greatest music videos collection or the complete collection of music videos and um, I would keep it in my backpack and bring it with me every day after school. We went to this like after school facility and stayed there for a couple hours. And we'd throw the video on and me and my friend Chelsea would watch it, which she, I believe, listens to the show. So fucking shout out, Chelsea. We would pop, pop it on and watch it every single day all the way through. And first it was just us. And then by the end of this thing i mean we did it for probably like two years straight all these kids would come in after school and be like weird out like we'd all sit in this (laughs) little movie theater room and we would sing all of the songs but the video for the um i I, the weird out was the reason why i was exposed to any of this music like i didn't hardly know any of the original songs i knew the weird out versions first and watching the music videos holy shit when i finally was allowed to watch mtv and i saw the original video mm-hmm. i was like what in the he fuck like it. weird owl he he used some of the uh, perfect uh, original actors i don't remember exactly who but he used some of the same people that nirvana used in the video it was insane he's so good <laughs> he, he's yeah. so good he's it sounded just r- right i mean the lyrics were fucking perfect it was it was a beautiful production so yeah. he, <laughs> definitely he, he watch his version he did that with uh fat as well he mm-hmm. filmed it in the same place that michael jackson did i think he nice. used a lot of the same dancers the same, i do uh, believe he's good love him okay ah yes enter <laughs> your favorite courtney love pretty feminist punk rocker with her own band hole that was doing quite well hole was touring in support of their record pretty on the inside headlining with mud honey in europe opening for smashing pumpkins in the u.s and hole also performed at the famous cbgb club in nyc lots of acronyms there (laughs) so during this tour love briefly dated smashing pumpkins frontman billy corgan and then she latched on to kurt with conflicting stories on how they actually met journalist michael azarod states the two met in 1989 at the satiricon nightclub in portland Cobain biographer Charles Cross claims it was actually in February of 1990. Cobain playfully wrestled love to the floor after she told him he looked like Dave Priner of Soul Asylum. But he really doesn't. I looked up Dave Priner and I mean, he has sandy blonde hair. Um, If you're both saying that they look like they don't take showers, then yes, they do look alike. (laughs) So according to Love, she states she first met Cobain at the Dharma Bum show in Portland. Love's bandmates suggested that he and Love were introduced to Cobain in a parking lot after a butthole surfers show at the Hollywood Palladium in May of 91. Either way, they met and were dating. Yeah, nobody knows what happened because they were all (laughs) fucked up. Love supposedly became reacquainted with Kurt through a mutual friend by 1992, and then they were both a fish. Nice. Um, now, speaking of the SNL show that Jake mentioned, um, they were doing the SNL thing and mm-hmm. then uh, Weird Al contacted them. Yep. Um, they were supposed to play for SNL and then Danny Goldberg, Nirva- Nirvana. Nirvana. Wow. <laughs> I was waiting for that. I say Nirvana every time on the radio. 
I'm so really yeah of course because I I so desperately want someone to be like um it's Nirvana so I but always I always say Nirvana oh, I did that the other day at work somebody was listening to a uh, Teen Spirit and I walked into the parts room and I, I'm, I stick my head and I'm like that's not Weird Al and one of the chicks <laughs> one of the chicks back there was like it's Nirvana I'm like okay you mean nirvana (laughs) i had a girl there's a girl i work with um and she asked me something one day and she's like oh like that abba song and i was like nice who is abba and she was like you know like the mom and i was like that is abba what the fuck yeah so we now jokingly say abba because she she was genuinely she did not know it it. it was so i love it i was like this is so stupid i love it well because all these fucking pronunciations who gives a shit it doesn't matter. So Nirvana is <laughs> oh my God. what I'll be saying for the rest of the episode. Uh, no guarantees, actually. Um, so anyways, Danny Goldberg, Nirvana's manager, revealed <laughs> in his book, Serving the Servant, Remembering Kurt Cobain, that this was the first time he realized that Kurt was addicted to heroin. Oh. Um, Kurt was seen nodding out before the SNL show during a photo session. And Kurt's response was, well, what are they supposed to do? They're not going to be able to tell me to stop. So I, I really don't care. Um, the morning after the SNL appearance, Kurt had his first overdose. Courtney Love resuscitated him. Oh, wow. Uh, the group was exhausted. They they only did a handful of live shows after Nevermind's release. There was some controversy after the album made it huge. Kurt wanted to retroactively like reorganize the songwriting royalties because he was doing he was doing a lot of the writing so he wanted to get the majority of the credit and thus the majority of the money oh dave Grohl and uh novoselic they were they were cool about it being the arrangement moving forward but asking to reclaim a ton of money from Nevermind sales was a little ballsy and almost caused them to break up. Sure. So he did end up getting 75% retroactive royalties, which permanently caused tension between the guys. So like all the money they had previously made, it's like, oh, haha, psych, give me uh, $25, please. Or whatever. <laughs> That's it. You know, 2500 Money, please. 250000 Yeah. Um, Kurt commented that his stomach pains were getting so bad at the time and being on tour, it was much worse. Uh, he tried to eat his three meals a day, but he would just end up vomiting or starving because he couldn't keep anything down. Mm. So his heroin addiction grew. And he he found that finally there was a cure for his stomach pains. After three days in a row on heroin, his pains had vanished. Yeah, because he was high and numb. Yeah, mm. exactly. <laughs> Cassie, take the wheel. <laughs> All right, so I took over for Alex because she was moving too slow. <laughs> no, we just have a ton of shit to do. So, Love's tour ended, and on February fun- funny fourth, ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Love's tour ended, and on February twenty fourth, nineteen ninety two, she and Kurt were married on Waikiki Beach in Hawaii. Aww. She was dressed in a satin and lace gown, and Kurt. Cobain wore plaid pajamas. Later that year, on August 18th, 1992, their daughter, Frances Bean Cobain, was born. And I'll have more details on that in a bit. Rumors started buzzing that the band was going to break up due to Kurt Cobain's health, but Nirvana headlined the closing night of England's 1992 Reading Festival. Is it Reading or Reading? I guess it is Reading. It's Reading. Wow. It's just words. It doesn't fucking matter. 
Oh my god, because they do quoting Alex from like five minutes ago. No, no, no. I I never. I I always say it in my head uh, because they do two festivals. It's bass and bass. No, <laughs> bass and bass and reading and leads. Yeah. And I always say it in my because I look at festival shit all day long yeah. at work, and I always have been like reading and leads. Oh yeah. my god, I hope I've never said that on air. You probably well, have. Nobody said shit to me. It's cool. It's Nirvana. Bass. Okay, so this performance is often seen as one of the most memorable ones throughout the group's career, even more so than the mtv unplugged sessions i don't know who wrote this yeah, it wasn't you me did. You i did, did. You wrote the that. research says this but you're, i believe it would be oh. the mtv unplugged sessions but okay. yes so i think in america maybe the mtv unplugged sessions ah, were bigger but this but is Europe. the huge it's a huge festival in england um so Europe. sorry i was saying europe but with oh. an accent <laughs> i was like i'm sorry are you busy no um. <laughs> Yeah, so this was their second time playing Reading, and they were basically the most famous rock band in the world. This performance footage and audio was apparently bootlegged for years, but <laughs> finally it was mastered and put out as a CD-DVD combo. Also, on the note of Cobain's health, because you mentioned that um, they might break up because of it. Right. After his manager, Goldberg, noticed his heroin addiction from the SNL thing, he staged an intervention with Courtney and several others. So the week that they had staged the intervention, they also found out that Courtney was pregnant. Oh. So at the Reading show, they were making fun of the press, um, like surrounding Kurt's health. So the band kind of wheeled him out on stage oh, no. in a wheelchair because everyone was like, oh, what's going on? Is he addicted? Whatever. And they were like, oh, yeah, he's so fucked up. Look, he's in a wheelchair. And then Chris took the mic and he said that, um, hey, guys, we think Kurt's going to make it. And then he got up out of the wheelchair, fell on the ground and then laid there for a minute motionless. That's fucked up. Before getting up and performing. It's funny, but it's wow. messed up. I think it's hilarious. And, and, and they're just such shitheads. Of course, they would do that. They, yeah, that's in the. This DVD thing you're talking about? Yeah, they they wow. wheeled him out and he was like, oh. I'd never <laughs> heard that. I'm sick. <laughs> and then he just got up and performed. They yeah. were joking. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't real. So he wasn't Jake real. missed okay. the joke. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, was, apparently no, they were I just, was just not paying attention. They were fucking with the media because the media kept talking <laughs> okay, all this stuff about right. Kurt being addicted and he was sick and there was something going on and they were like, okay. oh. <laughs> no, I thought, it, all right, yeah, I totally missed that. No, it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> real because then it probably would have been like way bigger. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So a few days after the festival, Nirvana performs at the MTV Music Video Awards, and the network refused to let the band play their new song, Rape Me. For, Why? For obvious reasons. Okay. <laughs> so Cobain strummed and sang the first few bars of the song before they broke out into lithium. And at the awards, the band takes home Best Alternative Video and Best New Artist. Now, the media were circulating around Courtney Love, and her first media exposure came in September 1992. She and Cobain had a profile for Vanity Fair titled Strange Love. While Kurt was a major public figure at the time, Love's manager encouraged her to participate in the cover story. And she was kind of like unsure. Hmm. But the media caught wind of Love and Cobain's heroin addiction from the year prior. And the article kind of painted them in some pretty unflattering light. Because yeah. it obviously suggested that Love had been addicted to heroin during her pregnancy with their first child, Francis Bean Cobain. Now, LA's Department of Child or Children and Family Services investigated the couple because of the article and temporarily awarded custody of Francis to love sister Jamie. Goldberg, the manager, also said that Courtney was clean after finding out that she was pregnant. Right. So, I mean, I think she was she was only a couple of weeks along, and she, if she had used before then, uh, as soon as she found out, then she stopped. Right. Um, the intervention also helped Kurt to remain clean for a time, but the media attention really just created a huge mess for them. Like they, 
basically had been trying to do things the right way, did this Vanity Fair thing, and then everyone was like, oh, your pieces of shit, let me take your kids away. And they were like, wait, no, we, we already cleaned ourselves up. Right. But it still continued to haunt yeah. love later on mm-hmm. where people, I mean, they didn't necessarily necessarily forget Cobain wasn't using at that time, but it was just like, it worsened her career, but he was still able to thrive. Right. And the burden was on her too, because she was pregnant. So right. he can get away with doing whatever the fuck he wants, but she was pregnant right. and whatever. So it was the pro-lifers again. it falls more... <laughs> the responsibility falls more on her, but then they also maybe took something Guess she what? said out He's of context. He's responsible for the pregnancy too. Ooh, it's oh. his <laughs> Anyway. <yeah. laughs> so Love claimed she was misquoted during the interview, stating she immediately quit heroin during the first trimester after she discovered she was pregnant, which is what Alex mm-hmm. just said. So Courtney claimed that this article had serious implications for her marriage as well as Kurt's mental state. Yeah. So a little bit more on uh, Francis. As far as I can figure, Kurt was a good father. Uh, yeah. There's lots of pictures and videos out there of them together um there's an unedited inter- unedited there's an unedited vi- uh, damn it <laughs> <Interview>. <laughs> interview. there's an unedited interview on mtv's youtube channel where francis looks like she's still kind of fresh out of the oven yep and he's just sitting there feeding her and uh chris and dave are sitting there and they they're just being normal and you can watch kurt just being a dad like he's feeding her sets her up to you know how you set babies up you know you hold them on display <laughs> yeah on display no <laughs> to he, burp them yeah oh, okay. he was trying to burp her and oh my like, god he was, like, holding her stomach oh. and like so, so she didn't throw up bare, and choke herself he's doing the bare minimum right yeah he's keeping her alive so okay but, good, yeah, good. He's, but he, he did it for the interview so he looked better yeah probably yeah. as for courtney it is alleged that she was on heroin while pregnant like we've been talking about uh, but just for the first few weeks. Yeah, babies are resilient. You know, they yeah. always be bouncing back from drugs and shit in oh the first God. couple of weeks. Yeah, when they get birthed <laughs> and they're going through withdrawals. No, I'm talking about like in the first like four weeks or whatever. If Usually women don't know that they're pregnant. Right. My mother, she smoked and drank like before she found out she was pregnant with my sister. Smoked what? meth no, no just, just cigarettes <laughs> you know those like don't smoke a drink when you're pregnant it was cigarettes Dude, so she did of both of those things were born right but like or no that was she didn't do certainly that hope they i'm were. confusing my stories <laughs> <laughs> Look, what i, I missed all that all of our parents were born oh. I was gonna say, all of our parents it, it can't i mean no. okay i'm not saying I was going to say, so you can say this after, but let me get this thought across because I'm going to forget what the fuck we were even talking about. My mom found out she was pregnant with my sister and was like doing everything she could possibly do to be like, have the right things that my Mm -hmm. sister would be healthy. So she was like eating right and not smoking, not drinking. And my sister came out with like allergies, eczema. She needed braces, glass, all these things. You got to get them used to And then I was an accident and I am like, I'm allergic to things now, but like growing up, like I was just basically this ball of pure joy and nothing yeah. was wrong with me and my sister had all these issues yeah so what i was gonna say is our parents were all born in the era sure. where their parents thought it was fine to drink and smoke and do whatever while they were pregnant so and they all came out just fine i'm not saying i'm not advocating for you to drink and smoke and do drugs while you're pregnant i'm just saying that you might be okay um germs are, help immunity you, you know people <laughs> who ha- were born despite that 
So, like, are, there's a whole generation of people that were born despite their parents not even knowing that these things were a problem. So what I'm saying is, I think that in the first, like, in the early terms of your pregnancy, I don't know how much of an effect that would have had on the child because right. it's so early on in development that, like, obviously you shouldn't do fucking heroin when you're pregnant, but Francis right, seems to have turned out okay, this, so it didn't, I don't think it affected her. Right, also, it's like... T- to reiterate the fact that it was their first time going public with any information about their relationship, this was the only thing that the media could really latch on to. Mm-hmm. So then they like overplayed that shit and was like, she was pregnant and doing drugs. And that was basically the narrative for the rest of her career. Yeah. Um, okay. So Kurt appeared in an interview after Francis's birth, admitting that yes, he had used drugs before, but holding his daughter was the best drug in the world. Uh, Kurt had previously admitted to doing heroin. He said once or twice a year, but around the time of that SNL performance, he did it for three weeks. This was all he admitted to. And I don't know. I don't know how often heroin users regularly like use it. I would assume daily. I don't know. I don't know how long it would last. I, I guess it depends on how much you're using right. as to whether you would do it like once a week and you need to like n- not do it for a little bit or else you don't feel it. You know what I mean? Oh, like you building like build up, up their tolerance. tolerance. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe you only do it a couple of times. I've never I, I have no fucking clue what the turnover Jake, is. Jake, have you ever it. done heroin? No. no. All right. Well, we have nothing to go off of. Yeah. <laughs> if you've ever done I've heroin, email us. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the time frame is for that type of of drug. But um, he said that he was he had been using it for like three weeks. So he was kind of fucked up for three weeks straight around the SNL performance. And then this is around when they had that intervention. Um, it, it would it was staged then. And then he received treatment in 1992. In his journals, Kurt wrote a note to his fans that wasn't published until much later. It read, so after protein drinks, becoming a vegetarian, exercise, stopping smoking, and doctor after doctor, I decided to relieve my pain with small doses of heroin for a whopping three whole weeks, uh, he wrote. Uh, It served as a band-aid for a while, but then the pain came back, so I quit. It was a stupid thing, and I'll never do it again, and I feel really sorry for anyone who thinks they can use heroin as a medicine because, um, duh, it don't work. I think he's just <laughs> being like dismissive of it. Quote. Yeah, yeah. He, he, um, so he had journals that he kept that yeah. were published later on. Oh, yeah, there's a whole ever, book of them, yeah. yeah. So while the band was hot, their label obviously needed another album. They ended up releasing a compilation album, Insecticide, in December 1992. It was a joint... Insecticide. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he likes those plays on words. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I thought it was Insecticide. (laughs) (laughs) So the venture was between two labels, DGD and Sub Pop, collecting various rare Nirvana songs. The intention was to provide fans with a better quality and less expensive version of the bootlegs that were circulating. And at this point, Nevermind was out for 15 months and the label didn't heavily promote incesticide but it came or it became certified gold anyway the following february so basically their labels putting out shit reaping the benefits and also not even having to touch it the marketing side of things yeah that's cool for nirvana at least well it's because they were just blowing up without any promotion right um nirvana released pus slash oh the guilt in february 1993 a split single with the jesus lizard on the independent label touch and go the band chose Steve Albini to produce their third album because he had such a great reputation in the indie music scene. Um, he went. Steve also goes on to work with Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters later on in their career, being a part of the big documentary project Sonic Highways. 
Mm. geeking out some more okay. i knew i knew you would <laughs> so cobain stated that one of the main reasons they they chose steve was because he had a natural recording style without la- layers of studio trickery the band mm. got the album completed in two weeks and it only cost him twenty five thousand dollars that's a jump from 600 only four years earlier <laughs> that inflation's a bitch <laughs> In July of 1993, Kurt had his second overdose. Courtney mm. apparently resuscitated him again before it was right before a huge show in New York. Like she brought him to the show after saving his life and it just continued on as planned. She didn't call an ambulance, but she rather injected him with Narcan, which blocks the effects of opiates. And utero starts getting a bunch of buzz in the media, but the label isn't happy with it. At this point, fans begin to think that Nirvana's creative vision is being inhibited by their record label, and a whole bunch of rumors start that the label is shelving the release and the band was unhappy with the mixes. Cobain felt that heart-shaped box and all apologies weren't perfect, etc., also, Kurt's first band was called Fecal Matter. I don't think that he seems like the type to strive for perfection, but okay. I, I think he did, too, uh, at least on some level from watching. Uh, there's another uncut interview on MTV's YouTube channel. Um, he's very much into getting the album sound a certain way. Yeah. And uh, having the music videos be exactly the way he sees them in his head. Mm-hmm. So he, he described a lot of the uh, just trying to get the visuals correct and all that stuff. So I think... I think he had a vision. Right. Yeah. And in a way that he wanted it to sound, maybe that wasn't the way that a pop producer would do it, but he had his specific way. It's it's interesting learning about this now because I'd never really paid attention to Nirvana. Obviously, you can't avoid them, especially when working in fucking rock radio. Right. And In Utero is like all of the shit that we play. Yeah. And this is the stuff that he did not he thought wasn't perfect or wasn't there yet and heart-shaped box and all apologies play literally every single day but what went on to happen is they called in the producer for rem and he remixed the songs while cobain added more instrumentation and backing vocals so so then he was happy with them them perfect yes okay because i was gonna say like they say pretty okay Uh, the album dropped and immediately topped the american and british charts they had some positive feedback too which was like kind of unheard of for them because Mm -hmm. people were just like ew grunge people that don't shower shower. how dare you so it was um more along the lines of nirvana hasn't gone mainstream the mainstream is going nirvana which is pretty clever but also like it's a compliment Mm -hmm. so in utero went on to sell over five million copies in the u.s and nirvana left in october for their first tour of the u.s in over two years the band went on to add pat smear of the germs smear no (laughs) he is not what goes on a bagel he is pat smear um he was of the germs and then he's now in the foo fighters as their second guitarist oh so so everman he's willing hey yeah he's willing yeah he's like they're going places i'm hopping on board so in Nor- November, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, if this is any more proof that I'm dyslexic. Okay. So in November, the band recorded their MTV Unplugged sessions. The recording stands out because Nirvana does the unconventional by not playing their best known songs, but instead taking on several covers, inviting Chris and Kurt Kirkwood of the Meat Puppets to wow. join in on three covers of their own songs. And you can watch the sessions on YouTube, which I highly recommend. Yeah, and you've probably heard them also on the radio because yeah. I think we do the All Apologies, Unplugged. <laughs> yeah, we definitely do. I think, <laughs> I think the MTV Unplugged one is more popular than the original recording of it. And yeah. then also The Man Who Sold the World. And right. 
there's a there's a handful from those MTV sessions that are more famous than the, their original recordings yeah. of the songs. And The Man Who Sold the World, that's the David Bowie cover. And it's really fucking good. Yeah. Uh, also, it's really unfortunate that their names are Chris Kirkwood and Kurt Kirkwood. I, yeah. I hate their parents <laughs> for that. What was the one <laughs> Meanwhile, Chris, they're listening. Chris bust out a, uh, a fucking accordion. Um, I guess I missed that one. That, well, I was watching through them uh, in order and like they all switch instruments and Chris just pops out with an accordion and starts busting out some accordion riffs. Sure. Comes full like, circle. He's shit. paying tribute to Weird Al. Yeah. <laughs> so September 8th, 1993, Love and Cobain made their only public performance together at the Rock Against Rape Benefit in Hollywood. Guess what they didn't play? Rape, Rape me. Yeah. Uh, so they performed two acoustic sets of Penny Royal Tea and Where Did You Sleep Last Night, as well as two whole songs, Doll Parts and Miss World. Whole is in the band she was in, not two whole songs like they played only <laughs> halves of her songs. songs yeah two entire songs <laughs> they um the, both of those songs were written for whole's second album called live through this now in early 94 nirvana went on a european tour their final concert which nobody knew at the time took place in munich germany on march 1st on march 4th in rome cobain's wife courtney finds him unconscious in their hotel room and he gets rushed to the hospital apparently kurt reacted to a combination of rohypnol and alcohol which I went on to then state that rohypnol is a benzodiazepine mm-hmm. used to treat severe insomnia and assist with anesthesia. As with other hypnotics, flutronazepam has also been advised to be prescribed only for, for-, for-, term- for short-term use or by those with chronic insomnia on an occasional basis. Rohypnol is the date rape drug. Yeah. Um, I actually, Ooh. it's that's funny. I just had, a, it's not funny. I had a conversation with somebody <laughs> about this today at work because um like i told you guys earlier off of the show i did not fucking sleep at all last night i literally just laid in bed with my eyes closed for 10 hours and didn't sleep and um i don't know i was telling this girl about it and she's been having a whole bunch of sleeping issues too so she went in and did a sleep study but she has young children she's got like a two or a three-year-old at home and um her like neurologist or whatever told her you know, we can prescribe you with Rohypnol, but it's literally like the date rape drug. Like it will knock you the fuck out. And if you have to get up in the morning and you have like a child that you need to take care of and whatever, like you probably shouldn't take this. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well then I don't want it either. So I'll just, I don't know, figure it out. I'm anxious for a reason and I don't want to not be, I, I would like to sleep. Right. But but I don't want to be like knocked the fuck out. I mean, what, the, what yeah. could happen when I'm sleeping? I would like I to wake know. up. Please. I would like to wake Thanks. up if there's a noise. Sure. Not every noise, but like some noises. Some noise. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so this situation gets the rest of the tour canceled. And in the following weeks, Cobain's heroin addiction resurfaces and an intervention encourages him to enter rehab. That was a lot of vowels. <laughs> yeah. A lot of E's in I love E is my favorite letter. Cassie. <laughs> <laughs> After Kurt's return from Rome to Seattle, more issues unfolded on March 18th. Courtney Love called the cops for a domestic dispute. When they arrived, she told officers that Kurt had locked himself inside of a room with a 38 revolver and was going to commit suicide. Hmm. The cops took a bottle of pills and four guns from the house, though Cobain insisted that he was not suicidal. He was not planning on killing himself. Okay. Once more, Love and others around Kurt began to... They, they began some talks to stage an intervention. Everyone was afraid for Kurt's life as he, he had begun using again. 
He was in denial, but someone apparently broke the news to Kurt. Like they, they just like leaked it basically. And they had to cancel the intervention because I guess they have to be a surprise. I don't, I don't know. Uh, to put the pressure on you. Yeah. It's like a birthday party surprise. (laughs) You won't show up because you hate surprises. So they have to like surprise you. Surprise. (laughs) Um, and so this dude named Roddy Bottom, (laughs) which is a really unfortunate name. Yeah. Bottom. Maybe it's Bottom. But there's two T's. Yeah, there's two T's that so that makes the O soft. That's Mm. what I learned in English. Soft bottom. Roddy Bottom of Mm. Faith No More flew in. He was apparently really close friends with Kurt, and the crew began brainstorming on a new intervention approach. Novoselic apparently also spoke to Kurt on his own as well. Courtney threatened to end their relationship, and Chris and Pat Smear threatened to break up the band. And this was all in attempts to just get Kurt to agree to go back to rehab. Courtney tried to convince him to hop on a plane and, you know, we'll just go to rehab together. But she ended up leaving after the first day by herself. And she did go to rehab. It took two days, and Smear took Kurt into the basement to write some music. So he was trying to just relate to him whatever in the meantime courtney was checked into the peninsula hotel in beverly hills on march 26th to start detox in an outpatient program so she didn't actually have to be inside of the facility so i think she just was like chilling at the hotel yeah uh she later regretted leaving kurt alone saying on tape 80s tough love bullshit it doesn't work probably a little more raspy than that sorry yeah but you were more condescending (laughs) with it (laughs) Like, you already don't believe her. (laughs) Well, I don't know. Um, True. Kurt remained in Seattle and stopped by his friend Dylan Carlson's house. And Dylan had also been involved in the last intervention. So while Kurt was at Dylan's house, he asked him for a gun. And Hmm. he, he said, like, look... I'm not suicidal. There are trespassers on my property. Like these fans have found out where I live. I got to protect my shit. It seems like a possibility. He's not going to shoot a fan though. Um, I don't know. There's something about a shotgun going that makes people run, you know? So he was asking his friend for a gun, blamed it on trespassers. He didn't want to buy a gun. Um, and he told Dylan, he was like, well, the cops just came to my house and took all these guns, so I can't buy one. So, like, I need you to buy the gun. Um, and Dylan, he knew Kurt, Kurt for a really, really long time. He said that he seemed normal. He didn't seem suicidal. He was just like, it, it was believable. So he went along with it. They went to a nearby gun shop and got a Remington 20-gauge shotgun and some ammo. Dylan finally remarked how it could have been weird that he was buying the gun, Um because Kurt was supposed to be going to L.A. for rehab anyway. So, like, why, if you're going to leave in a minute, why yeah. do you need this? Um, Dylan offered to store the gun until Kurt got back. But Kurt was like, no, 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 it's fine. I'll keep it. I need it. Protection, right? So okay. the cops think that Kurt dropped the gun off at his house and then left for rehab. Pat Smear met Kurt at LAX and took him into the rehab facility on March 31st at the Exodus Recovery Center in Marina Del Rey, California. Kurt remained at the clinic for two days. During his stay, he called Courtney, who was still at the peninsula for outpatient detox. Um, and She told a newspaper that on the phone, he said, Courtney, no matter what happens, I want you to know that you made a really good record. Just remember, no matter what, that I love you. And she claims that this is the last time that they spoke. Which I think is funny because it's like, 
what what were Kurt's last words to you? Oh, he said he really likes my band. Like, bitch, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, it's whatever. Uh, <laughs> it just seems questionable. The Kurt, way you read it, though, like context wise. I mean, like, Courtney, no matter what happens. <laughs> it's like how. Why would he be talking it? about her record? So she's trying to. Okay, I, yeah, I my, understand where you're coming from. Here's my opinion. Okay. She's trying to. Obviously, there are a lot of questions, which we'll get to on the next episode, about Courtney and if she had a part in his death or not. And this is something that came straight from her mouth, where she's like, the last. I, I don't know. I haven't talked to him since this day okay well then what did he say on that day oh he told me that he loves me no matter what happens which is super weird but he also said that my record was sick it comes out on march 18th or like whatever you know like come <laughs> on say that. come on i don't self-promotion know promotion yeah it seems like shameless class. self-promotion to me okay but but she's also nobody knows what actually happened all right. we have is what she says happened. Yeah. And this bitch was also in rehab because she's on drugs. Yeah. So I don't necessarily trust her version of events when she says, oh, yeah, he, he told me that he, he was he loved me. And no matter what happens. And that's so weird and ominous. Why would he say that? But also he said my record was sick. Like, come <laughs> on. I don't know. It just seems like really like the shameless self-promotion. It, it, it just at the seems time. like she made that whole thing up because those two things don't make sense to put in the same well, conversation. Well, there's, there's also more because we'll, we'll get into it. There's other factors, but like, I don't think that's the last thing he would have said to her out of considering they were like the divorce stuff and all the stuff that we're going to get into in the next episode. But yeah, but she said this is the last time that they spoke. Okay. And that sounds like bullshit to me. So one day later, Cobain left the Exodus Recovery Center after scaling a six-foot wall. He was like, I'm out. Bye, bitches. <laughs> uh, yeah, one of his visitors at the clinic remarked how great he looked at the time. He'd been there for a day, a, a couple of days, and uh, he looked great. He probably just took a shower. I mean, imagine how much that changes your appearance. Yeah, he had clean clothes on, and he bathed. <laughs> you have a glow about you, Kurt. I don't know what it is. One. It's called soap. It's called, like, I don't have dirt and schmegma. Um <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, so one, one of his visitors at the clinic remarked how great he looked, but while he stepped outside for a smoke, uh, he just jumped the brick wall there and flew back to Seattle. And this is where we will pick up for the next episode for part two of Kurt Cobain. Mm. I've really enjoyed telling this first part of the story. He's like super interesting. <laughs> yes, but the rest of it just gets like, chaotic yes it's gonna get really whack so i mean at this point where we are right now with recording this we're not completely done with the research for part two but it is going to include a lot of the conspiracy theories different people's ideas of what happened cassie found a bunch of perspectives and and you know analysts who really looked at it and had different thoughts yeah this entire episode um, is 17 pages but before we even <laughs> before we even get to the conspiracy theories like we still have to get to the several days leading up to his death because right. where we've left it off right now he just goes back to seattle and there are there, there's a lot of really compelling things that have happened between him arriving in seattle and his death those several days there's so much shit that went on that is suspect and then all of the theories afterwards so we are going to get into it 
Do you I, have any, Do you have like a prediction? I think he might die at some point. Oh my god. Um. Yeah, I think there was. We had an episode that we talked about in early, earlier in season one where I said Courtney did it, and it was out of context. We weren't discussing anything, but I said, "Huh, Courtney killed Gert." And then I don't remember which one that was. I don't know either. It's probably in the episode, but I don't know at this point because I have heard so many counter stories that there's just so much convoluted bullshit. Yeah, that it makes it hard to under not understand to 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 believe anybody. I definitely think that there was some sort of foul play yeah. or somebody knew what the fuck was going on. I just don't know if that person was Courtney. Yeah, have, having more than one thing to watch definitely does help when you're doing research. Yeah. Cuz that you, you like you were saying you can only get one part of the story, so you yeah. need like multiple things to really piece it together. So. Right. Mhm. That, that's what I noticed doing this stuff because I watch a lot of videos and interviews yeah, and things like that and I'm trying to compile it into what you guys have already written and so I can't just go with one thing I gotta find a couple of different things you know mm-hmm. something that's written something that you know video yeah so just to piece the story together as if we don't say it every single episode but um <clears throat> we do two episodes a month on Patreon so the next uh part in this one Kurt Cobain part two is going to come out in about two weeks or so and we appreciate you guys subscribing to us if you are enjoying it please suggest it to your friends it's only five dollars a month i mean what have you got to lose really five dollars yeah you got five dollars cool and then let's see we are going to be you guys already know we're going to be taking a brief two-week break from releasing episodes on the main feed on Spotify. So you're lucky because you have a bonus two episodes on Patreon. Uh, We will return on August 18th with Jerry Garcia on the main feed, but also shortly in a few days, we will be coming out with episode five of season three, which is Aaliyah. And uh, we'll still be doing mini sews that whole time too. So Kate, I know you're getting a little restless because oh, yeah. you don't, you can't binge watch or you can't <laughs> yeah. binge listen. You're yeah, already she caught up. Me today about that. But we, you know, so I know you're probably crying right now because we're not going to have the two main feed episodes. But you're still, <laughs> luckily, you're subscribed to Patreon, so you're still going to get these episodes every two weeks. But we will continue doing the mini episodes uh, for the next couple of weeks as well. And then August 18th, put on your calendar. I don't know, maybe go on vacation for like two weeks and don't and don't listen to anything. You we'll have some stuff to catch up on. I don't know. I'm not sure what to tell you. But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening and rest in peace. Bye. Later. Music by Demons at Demons Band on Instagram. Artwork by Mike Johnson. Writing and production by Cassie Gardner, Alex Motler, and Jake.